Hello, and welcome to Name Drop San Diego, a podcast that's all about the amazing people who make up San Diego. My guest today is Sabrina Goosby. Sabrina is a lifelong San Diegan whose family has a long history here. Her family moved to San Diego in the late 1800s and were among some of the first African Americans to settle in the region. Her great-great-aunt was born in downtown San Diego, where Horton Plaza now sits, and her great-uncle owned the Creole Palace, a renowned jazz nightclub where Billie Holiday and Nat King Cole would perform, among others. Sabrina has been an advocate for foster care for over 30 years with Voices for Children, a San Diego organization that connects court-appointed special advocates, known as CASAs, with children in need. She's clearly passionate about the subject and about her community, and she's undoubtedly made San Diego a better place. Here's our conversation. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me on Name Drop. I'm excited to have you here today. Um, My first question for you is I saw that you have been with Voices for Children since 1988, and that is incredible. And I just wondered, you know, what drew you to this work uh, to begin with? Why is, why are you passionate about this issue? Thank you so much for having me um, today, Christy. Boy, that's a big question. But um, even since I was a child, I always wanted to do work with children. And I initially kind of took a detour and started my career in the computer industry, which I absolutely hated. (laughs) Um, and so and so in the process of being a single mom to two boys I thought you know what you need to go and find find a place where you just love you know a place that you're passionate about and a place where you can you know give all your talents and your treasures to an organization that really does what you want to do and that's to help children and I was lucky enough to have to find voices um voices for children um back in those days was a very small organization. I was only the fifth staff member of Voices and um, I didn't even know anything about Voices for Children when I found them. And um, so when I heard what they do, I just knew that was the place for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, what was your first job there? This is so funny. My first job was answering the phones. I was the receptionist and I typed all the court reports. So it was an entry level position for me, um, but I wanted to just get my feet in the door. I wasn't looking to do anything, you know, special. I just wanted to be there. Once I heard what they do, I had to be there. And so it was answering the phones and typing the class's court reports is what I primarily did when I started. Amazing. Well, and today you're the vice president of programs and the organization has grown a lot. So, I mean, what have you been proudest of, you know, during the time that you've been there? Uh, What have you accomplished? So I think there's a couple of things. Um, You know, Voices is really, to me, is all about relationships. And so what I've been able to do in my role as a vice president of programs is to be able to to, to just that, form relationships, um, steward relationships. And that's, you know, with my amazing and wonderful co-workers, a lot of our community partners that I work with doing children's activities. But I think the one thing that I'm most proud of is the work that I've been able to do with the Real Word Youth Speakers Panel. The Real Word is a group of absolutely incredible and courageous young adults who talk about their experiences in the foster care system and what the benefits of having a CASA has been, that one consistent caring adult that really is there for them, what that's meant. And I've had the pleasure of supervising and working on that panel since 2001. 
and um, have made so many incredible relationships with youth that have gone through our program. I still have 30 year olds calling me or stopping me on the street or, or you know, just checking in. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm the first person that they call to say, you know, I got into UCLA or I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I just had a baby. And so, and they are what inspires me to do the work that I continue to do at Voices. And when you hear from one of them and hear their stories and what their CASA has been able to accomplish and help them through, you just, you just stay like I have. It'll be 34 years this year for me. And you just continue to do that work because you know how important it is to the youth that we serve. Yeah, that is so heartwarming. I can't imagine getting one of those phone calls like that would definitely keep you going, you know, and tell oh, you that you're on the right path. Absolutely. It brings chills. It gives you tears. You know, sometimes it's not always the best phone call either. That call, phone call could be because when you do this work, you become a part of their you, you become a part of their lives. You become their person, one of their people. And so they're who you, they, you know, you, they look to me sometimes for guidance. And it could be for, you know, really simple things, you know, what class should I take? Or, you know, I had a conversation with my CASA and I talked to them about this and I wanted to run it by you, something really simple. My boyfriend just broke up with me, you know, or, or even, you know, as big as, like I said, getting into UCLA. So it's, it's, uh, it's really, um, I would say, heartfelt and inspiring work that I get to do um, at Voices. Yeah, that is so cool. Uh, you obviously make a difference. Well, I was hoping you could tell me just more about the foster care situation in San Diego. You know, I, I feel like we read about it piecemeal here and mm -hmm. there, but I mean, how many children do we have in the system and, and what are the outcomes like and just how do you assess the system as a whole? You know, I really think that um, San Diego has done a lot of work in regards to foster care and have made a lot of strides and lots of um, great progress. Um, but sadly, you know, there's still work to do. Um, I think right now, I would say there's anywhere between maybe about 3,500 kids in foster care in San Diego County, but I'm not the one who keeps track of that because I do recruitment training and other things at the organization. Um, but I do feel like, um, you know, the judges and the social workers in our county have worked exceptionally hard to provide whatever they can um, for the youth that we serve. But, you know, I do find that Voices um, does find that consistent, caring adult that these kids can look to. And I think it really does change their trajectory in the system. Yeah, definitely. I mean, is there anything else we could be doing, you know, or should be doing um, as, as a society, but also on an individual level? You know, and I think as a, a society, first of all, is educate yourself. You know, know that these kids are in foster care or in, you know, the system through no fault of their own. You know, a lot of times people think that these kids have come into care because they, um, you know, have done something wrong. It's not their fault. They, they, are, they have come into the system, like I said, through no fault of their own due to abuse, abandonment, you know, neglect. And, you know, that's the first thing that we need to do is educate ourselves about who these kids are. These kids are our kids. These kids are your kids. They're the same kids. Um, the difference is they haven't had maybe the same structure or the, the things that your children and mine had, but they could have as well and still end up on this side because, um, you know, whatever the outcomes that they've had in their homes. Um, I think for me though, and, and mine comes from what I hear from the kids themselves. 
is having that one consistent caring adult in their lives has truly made a difference for them. And I don't say that because I work here at Voices. I say that because I've seen it work. And, you know, if there were, if there was the ability to have more social workers so that they could really do social work and have a smaller caseload so that they could really have more time with their kids, that could be magic. Um, you know, but that's, of course, that, that takes a lot of money. That takes a whole lot of things. Um, you know, but people in this system do this work who have big hearts. They, they care about these kids. And I know that if they could, they would do more. And so the one thing that I would encourage the community to do is if you, like I said, educate yourself about the system, know that they're not kids who have done something wrong. Um, if you have the time and the ability, you know, volunteer within the system, whether that be become a CASA with voices, which we would love because we are always trying to recruit more people to do this work because we do have a waiting list of kids. So become a CASA. And if you can't become a CASA, tell somebody about our program. If you can't do that, um, maybe it's you donate money to a Voices or to another organization that works with foster youth. Just be out there pulling up your, you know, pulling up your sleeves and doing, doing some work within the community that, you know, benefits the kids. What are the requirements to become a CASA and what does um, that program look like for participants, adult participants? So um, the, the requirements of a CASA, I think first and foremost, is to be someone who is, in, who is really passionate and has a love for children. That's probably the biggest requirement that I can think of. Um, someone who is willing to give some time, maybe a 10 to, it's about 10 to, address, averages about 10 to 15 hours a month to be a CASA. So it's not this huge time commitment um, like people would think. And, you know, sometimes people say that doesn't seem like enough time, but if you can imagine um, these kids not having that 10 to 15 hours with somebody caring about them or really specifically being able to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them, where, how different that would look. And so that is a lot of time because I always, uh, we had a volunteer recently say, you know, I see my child once a month and I don't know if I'm doing anything. And it's like that once a month is huge. Because if you weren't seeing them once a month and giving that time to them, they wouldn't have that person. And so know that it really does matter. And so, um, you know, we do have a training program. You know, you would have to do an information session. Um, you can go to our website at speakupnow.org and look at our information, but they would come to an information session, do an application. We do the training, um, but there's no special um, training that's required. And I think that's the most important piece. You don't have to be a social worker or a lawyer to do this work. You just have to be a community member who has the love and a heart for children and wants to be able to give that and give that time. And I think that's most important. Awesome. That's great information. It does seem like it includes mostly everyone, you know, if you're interested and qualified and have a just, just good have background. to be over 21 years old and, um, you know, have a good driving record because you do get to drive you know, with these kids, we do do background checks because you're working with a very vulnerable population. So we want to make sure we get the right people. You know, it's a very prestigious program. So unfortunately, everybody doesn't get in, but any, like you said, anybody can do this. We have people who are work full time, you know, moms who are, you know, have kids in school, you know, people who are retired. So it runs the like students in college, so it can run the gamut. Beautiful. Well, I wanted to learn more about you 
Um, I Googled you and I read your bio on the website and there's not like a, a ton about you out there. So we're going to break some news about you, Sabrina, today. Um, I but I mean, it. tell me about you. Like, are you from San Diego? If not, how did you arrive here? In a nutshell, what is what is your life story? Who is Sabrina? Sabrina is um, a native San Diegan, which I'm really proud of. Um, I was born and raised in San Diego, but even bigger than that, my mother's side of the family had been in San Diego since the late 1800s. Wow. So we've got lots and lots of history here. Um, one of my great aunts was, um, you know, the, I'm not sure if she's the first or second because there's some debate. So we'll say um, one of the first African-American children to be born in San Diego. So again, we have lot, I have lots and lots of history here that I'm really proud of. Um, I went to school from kindergarten through 11th grade and some of our local Catholic schools. Um, and and um, I don't know what drove that, but in my senior year, I decided I wanna go to public school. And so I actually graduated from Helix High School after attending Catholic school, the majority of, like I said, my childhood. Um, I'm a mom. I'm a mom of uh, two young men, sadly, one of them who has passed away. Um, so I have a mom, the two boys, I have two grandchildren um, that I'm really proud of who have both, um, one graduated from, um, from college and the, the second one is in her last year of, of college. So we're really excited about that. And so I always tell people when I started at Voices, my, my boys were in elementary school and now my grandchildren have graduated college. That's, that gives you a nice, <laughs> Yeah, that nice. is amazing. Yeah. So, you know, more about me. I love jazz concerts. I love live music. Um, you know, I love the arts and theater. And so that's just a little bit about me. Yeah. That was a great overview. And I have to say, I'm sorry to hear about your son. Thank um, you so much. You know, but um, what an amazing family history here in San Diego. Was it ever a question in your mind that you would leave or go anywhere else? Did you ever consider leaving? You know what? There were um, a couple of times that I thought about it, but it was such a fleeting thought. <laughs> it was real quick. And it's like, when you live in San Diego, why do you need to go anywhere else? You don't. <laughs> you know, I've been places to visit friends. Oh, you know, they're, they're nice homes here. They're great people here. But, you know, it, it would always take me take me back to why would I leave this weather? Why would I live this leave this place? Why would I leave a place that I love so much? And so I'm really proud to be a San Diegan. And again, proud of the history we have. And of course, proud of what I've been able to do at Voices for Children. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with you. There's really no reason to leave as, as long as you can stay. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I have a lightning round for you. Just kind of some off the wall questions also to get uh, to know you. But okay. I mean, as a lifelong San Diegan, I know that you know all of the best spots. So what are your favorite parts of San Diego? Like if you have visitors come in, you know, what do you like to show them or where are places that you like to visit? Um, I would say if I was taking someone who'd never been here, um, I would take them to the zoo. I would go to La Jolla Cove. <laughs> and I love, um, I love Encinitas, Moonlight Beach. I'm a water girl, so I'm taking them to the beach. And I love Coronado. So if I was, if I was taking somebody who'd never been here, those are some of the places that I would take them. But, uh, but the other piece of that is, uh, and of course, Balboa Park, which is absolutely beautiful. So those are the places that you have to see when you're here, right? Um, but I think I would also take someone to um, some, of the, some of the really cultural places that we have, you know, Barrio Logan, and take them to Las Cuatro Miltas for lunch, and, 
and uh, do some of those kinds of things too. So I think it's really important to get the full flavor if you're going to be here. Definitely. That's a great bucket list. That's a great tour that I've written down everything you just said that I'll probably use in the future. So thank you. Um, what is something that you like to do to um, unwind, you know, from your job or just something you like to do that's not related to your work? So um, I mentioned live music. So that's one of my favorites. I love live music, live jazz. Um, so I would do that. Um, I also love um, my acupuncture is one of the ways that I unwind. Um, I do once a week if I can. Um, so I would do live music and then go get an acupuncture or massage treatment. That would be like a day in the life. I, that would be like my optimal <laughs> day. So if I could do all three of those in a day or at least in a weekend, that would be awesome. That is so cool. I've done acupuncture before for a specific reason, but you can also just do it for relaxation. Yeah, I started doing acupuncture when my son passed. Um, and I really do feel like it was um, exactly what I needed to help me heal. Of course, there were other things that I did, but when my son passed away, that was what I did was acupuncture. You know, people say, oh, you're depressed, go take some meds. No, I didn't want meds. And so the acupuncture was really a way for me to kind of have that hour, just relax. And, you know, now I go, I have, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, so I go for that. But more than anything, it's for balance for me. So if you haven't done it, you should try it. Yeah, it's really I, about balance. I will take you up on that recommendation. Um, I, I just had some loss in my own life this past year. My, my mother and father passed away. Oh, uh, I'm both. so sorry, Christy. Oh, thank you. I mean, it was uh, on one hand unexpected, on the other not. So yeah, it's been hard. And I've been thinking about that. You know, like, what do you do to heal? You know, what are... Mm -hmm. Do you have any other any other tips or you know things that things that you were able to do to move on not move on but move forward yeah i mean i of course therapeutic services is really important so between the therapy and the acupuncture and just the support of my amazing um friends and family and then that spiritual spiritual connection that i got from my church family as well i mean those are the things that kind of help see me through mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what do you have a motto or, you know, or just something that you try to live by? Just be kind, you know, be kind. You can do so many things for so many people and even for yourself, if you're just kind. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. I like the simplicity of it. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, okay. And so final lightning round question is, um, do you have a hero or just someone you've looked up to someone who has mentored toward you in your life or your career. And it could be someone, you know, or someone, you know, just that you look up to that you don't know. I would say, I would say my number one hero would be my dad. Um, he's passed now, but you know, it's because of him that I, I mean, of course my mom has, has part of, part of that in there as well. But I look to my dad because I think he was so progressive in his thinking. Um, you know, he was the one who had me go to the schools that I went to. He was the one who kind of shaped a lot of who I am as a parent. But even more than that, he was the one that made sure that I, that I could stay at Voices because I became a, a single mom. Um, after starting at Voices. And I thought, there's no way I'm gonna be able to raise my kids on this salary. In the, in the beginning, this is years ago, of course. And 
he said, that's your job. You talk about that place all the time. And he said, I will take over the extracurriculars for your boys. If they need certain things, I will take over those pieces so that you are able to stay where you are. And because I see the look in your eyes when you talk about Voices for Children and I see how passionate you are and that's your place. And so he gave me the ability to not be stressed about how I was gonna provide certain things for my sons. And so by him taking on that role for part of their, you know, part of those financial needs that you need, it gave me the ability to stay and it gave me the ability to grow um, there at the agency. And it gave me the ability to be touched by, you know, so many incredible people that I, that I have in my life today. Yeah. What a gift. It was a huge gift. And, you know, I watched him stay at the place that he, before he retired, he stayed there for 36 years. So, you know, so I, I kind of have modeled after he started at an entry level and kind of worked himself up. So I kind of, you know, followed in his path, so to speak. And so if I could think of a hero, it would be my dad. That is such an awesome uh, story. I mean, yeah, having the, the long career that you've had and sort of being able to balance, you know, passion with bills and other just real life challenges, you know, like what mm -hmm. is your what is your advice? And, you know, also, as I said in the beginning, um, your bio, I feel like now it's pretty uncommon to see anybody stay in a job, you know, for that long. I don't meet a lot mm -hmm. of people that have been with the same organization. You know, you get tired of this or that or something comes up, you have an unexpected life change. So how have you been able to, uh, in addition to with your father's help, sustain that? You know what, Christy, I think that, you know, as I said, my position has changed and I've grown with the agency. So um, you know, I've been able to do that and accomplish that. And as you make that change, you know, you feel really good about it. You know, obviously you're really proud of your accomplishments. But I think the most important piece for me is, like I said, was relationships. And I mentioned that at the beginning. It's the relationships that I've been able to, you know, to have with coworkers and even former coworkers now. People that I haven't worked with in 20 years, but I still get, you know, still talk to or we share Christmas messages once a year to get an update. Um, it's the relationships that I've been able to form with community partners who provide, you know, tickets and things to our CASAs and kids um, that we would not be able to do um, if Voices was having to do, do the, you know, do it themselves. And so um, it's, it's really about a relationship. It's relationship with the CASAs that I've met. Some who are no longer CASAs, but I have longstanding friendships with them now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the kids that I've met. And I think more than anything, I think they are what continue, makes me continue to, to be proud of being at Voices. Because like I said, I get phone calls from, you know, young adults who are, I can't even say young adults, adults now, <laughs> who are married and, you know, executive directors or managers at their companies. And they've got children and, you know, and their families and they're doing exceptionally well. And I still hear from them. And when you look back and you think, have I done anything in this world? You know, and I really feel proud of what I've been able to do in this world. You know, um, I may not be able to retire tomorrow with a huge pension plan, but my wealth comes from what I've been able to do with the, the CASAs, the staff and the kids that I work with every day. There's, that's my wealth. Well, what is next for you? 
you've already accomplished so much, <laughs> you know. What is next? Next for me, we, we, we laugh and, but eventually this girl would like to retire. <laughs> <laughs> Well-deserved, I might add, yes. Well-deserved. Um, I've got a little, little bit of time to, you know, save some more money and do some things, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to retire and leave a legacy, leave a legacy behind that, um, that I'm really, really proud of. Um, just like I said, if I think about all the kids' faces and the classes that I've met, um, it really gives me such joy. But I, I want to be able to, like I said, and continue to enjoy life. And while I, you know, I'm still healthy and still can do things, I would like to retire within the next couple of years if possible. You know, that would be my goal. And like I said, but most importantly is to leave that legacy leave the legacy of kindness, leave the legacy of giving back, leave the legacy of love. Because I genuinely love my kids that I've worked with, you know, love my coworkers, et cetera. And I love this agency that has changed the lives of thousands of children since I've been there in almost 34 years that I have. Yeah, your love for it really, really shows, you know, in the way that you speak about it, your coworkers, your, your clients, the kids you know not no longer children or some of I them say, still I are, keep but... saying kids they're not kids anymore but <laughs> right. they'll like, forever be my kids like I still might call my own kid a kid you know yeah so um it's it's pretty amazing to to know that I just didn't have a job that was a paycheck you know I had a job that I could be inspired by and feel good about doing absolutely every single day even when it was a hard day because we do have hard days at Voices. We deal with tragedy all the time. Um, but I always tell when new staff come aboard, I always say, when you have that day like that, refocus yourself and remind yourself that we are here trying to make change. We are here trying to do good work with these kids on behalf of their CASAs and the kids. So know that your work matters every day, even when it's a dark day. And I think that has carried me through and I hope that carries others through when they do the work that they do. And I say that not just for people who work for Voices, but people who work in the system in general, you know, social workers, attorneys, judges, everyone who does this work, does it with such a heart that um, otherwise you couldn't, you couldn't do this work and do it well if you didn't have the heart for it. Yeah, I love that advice. As you were speaking, I was thinking, I mean, that almost applies to everyone, you know, it's like we all have our bad days at work and you have to think, well, why did I get into this? And if, you know, I feel mm -hmm. like if your heart's still in it, you should stay. And if it's not, maybe you should go, but. That's right. Because if your heart's not in it, you should find something else. And there's, you know, there's a lot of people who, who need to do that, you know, mm -hmm. that may need to do that for themselves. I just haven't gotten there yet. And when I do, when I do, it'll be for retirement. It won't because it won't be because I don't still love this work and this organization. And like I said, I have um, been inspired by so many people within the system that um, it's, like I said, it's true. It's been truly amazing to, for me to be able to do what I've been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have such a, an inspiring story, Sabrina. Thank you for sharing it with me. I would actually like to talk to you some other time, just more about your family history. You know, I mean, that's oh, like I really, yeah, that's I incredible. I mean, yeah. we, can talk, we can talk about it now a little bit if you have time, but I mean, like your, your great, great grandmother, your great grandmother, one She's of the my great, great, she would be my great, great aunt, great, great aunt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the first, I mean, that's an incredible history. Yeah, and then I don't know if you've, um, we down at the gas plant, there was a, the Douglas Hotel, 
and inside the Douglas was Creole Palace, which is called the Cotton Club of the West Coast. That was owned and operated by my great uncle and um, and another family, another husband and wife team. But they, you know, owned the Douglas Hotel and the Creole Palace. And then my great grandfather um, also owned a hotel in the gas plant called the Yesmar. And so they both were really entrepreneurial spirits, you know very grounded in the community. Um, you know, we've got the first, you know, police officer in our family, American officer, the first detective, you know, so we've got lots and lots of history here that, that you know, I've been able to share with my kids, like I said, that I'm really, really proud of. That is so cool. Have these stories been told? Like, have you been interviewed by any history groups around town you know, or just? I, I necessarily haven't, but my grandmother was. Um, my grandmother um, passed when she was 94, but she's been, um, in fact, she did a, a writing tour with the Historical Society, which I thought was fascinating because at the time, Christy, she was blind. She was completely blind at the time due to glaucoma, but they took her on a writing tour. My mom went with them and they went all over San Diego and she said, okay, you know, based on where we left, we should be on this corner right now. And on the corner, on this corner was this place. And then they'd say, well, now we're at, you know, 12th and Imperial. And she could describe to them what that neighborhood looked like, who lived there, what businesses were there, what businesses were in the gas lamp, you know, lots and lots of information wow. she was able to share with, this, with the historical society. That's like time traveling. It was like time traveling. Exactly. <laughs> it was like time, time traveling. And, you know, sitting with her, and if I had to think of another hero, she would be my other one. Um, because, you know, at night she lived till 94, you know, the week before her, her passing, she was, you know, having a, a special event in her outside in her yard at, at her home. It was a jazz event for sponsored by a church group. And, and she would, I can see her right now in her wheelchair at the front door, you know, snapping her fingers and dancing to the music, you know, and then the next day she says, okay, now I will go to hospice, mm. but right now I have to do this. And so she, um, she just was, was that person who taught the lesson of, like I said, being kind and helping people. And I think from her and my dad both, and, and even my mom, of course, um, I've gotten that message loud and clear. And, and I saw her um, when she lost her eyesight. And I think that's where she inspired me the most is instead of being sad about it, she said, but I remember the color yellow and what the mm -hmm. sun looks like. And I can feel that today. And I remember what the flowers were. And I remember all those things. She said, so I can just still celebrate it. I can feel it. And, um, and I said, you're right. And she said, rather than be sad about me losing my eyesight, I just celebrate all that I've been able to see thus far. And so with that, it's like, you're right. I should have nothing that I should feel <laughs> bad about, right? Yeah. You know, and so she was, she was some, she was really, really, like I said, a true inspiration as well. Yeah. What an incredible perspective, you know, just something and to I keep in she mind. She was probably my biggest cheerleader. You know, when I had a bad day, um, she was usually the person that I reached out to and I had, you know, a phone conversation. In fact, my voicemail at Voices um, for years had her singing happy birthday to me for the longest time until we had a new phone system. And so every now and if I had a bad day, I'd go play that surf singing happy birthday to me, but it's not there anymore. Oh, I was going to ask you, do you have, you don't have a copy of it? I don't, but I do have a copy of her 
dancing at that jazz thing the week <laughs> before it. she passed, snapping her fingers and smiling, big smile on her face. I do have that on video. That is on my phone that, that I have shared with family and friends. And then we also did a 90 minute, which I thought was really interesting. We did a 90 minute interview with her um, with an organization that, that talks to people. And so I have that on video as well that I can, that I can uh, look back on, but many, many memories. Oh, that is so cool. What was her um, name and what is your family name? So we can, you know, look this if, if listeners are interested in more information. So our family name, so the, the son and the daughter of, so there were two families who came to San Diego and they were the Shannon and the Ritchie families. The, the, a son and a daughter of each of those families married when they came to San Diego. So there's two sets of us from both those descendants, which is really interesting. So those names are the Shannon and the Ritchies who came here together. And then um, my grandfather and my great uncle that we talked about, are the he, their last name was Ramsey. Okay. So it was George Ramsey and Alfonso Ramsey are the two that had the hotels. And Alfonso was a music promoter, so very involved in the workings of Creole Palace and the Douglas Hotel as well. Hmm. That is so cool. You know, it's yeah. so unusual to speak to somebody like you, like most, you know, it, it's kind of hard to find San Diego natives in general, let alone, I mean, what generation are you like five right. at this point, you know, yeah, I think I'm six. six. I think six. I might be six. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm five. My son is six, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I, you're the first person I've encountered whose family has been here for that long. Yeah. It's been, um, it's pretty amazing to, to have the history that we have. And, and like I said, have had my grandmother who was around so long to be able to share it with us, you know, because mm -hmm. some people don't know their history. And, you know, a lot of the times they'll talk about my uncle George and that's who people know the most because he was very outgoing. He was kind of, uh, he was known as the mayor of black San Diego years mm -hmm. ago. And so, um, and then he and his brother Alfonso actually worked with the mayor of San Diego and had the first, you know, integrated dance at in Balboa Park. You know, so they were able to do lots, lots and lots of things like that, that, you know, really proud to, hmm. to be a descendant of. Thank you again to Sabrina for joining me on Name Drop San Diego. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.